You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. The two most difficult classes I took in high school were French 1 and French 2. Those were the, those were the two, two most difficult classes. Um, I did okay with the rote memorization piece, um, but the whole um, writing it and speaking it, I, I was terrible. I was so bad, um, but I tried so hard that my parents um, gave a, a pause on our AB rule. The AB rule was if... Um, Turn me down a little bit. I'm, I'm backing up in my own ears here. Um, that if I got less than an A or a B in any class, I couldn't play baseball that, that season. And um, so I was quite fearful uh, in French 1 and French 2. And, um, but they, my, my grades would have broken the A-B rule, but my parents had a lot of grace. In college, my most difficult classes were um, English comp 1 and... Two, um, I got great grades on content, but boy, that grammar punctuation stuff, you know, I just wanted to put it all at the bottom, all the punctuation, and just say use as needed, right? That would have been, that would have been my best approach for that. And also, also Greek one and Greek two were quite difficult. Uh, not, again, not from the memorization part, but those conjugating those verbs, you know, they were very, very difficult for me uh, to handle. How many here you speak more than one language? We have any more than one language speakers? You know what? I've asked a lot of questions in this congregation, and most of the time you guys sheepishly raise your hand, but in that case, all of our multi-languagers, boy, they were up fast, right? Everyone said, yeah, we, we got multiple languages. You don't count. You had to speak a bunch of languages, right? All right. So languages in and of themselves, especially for Americans, they're a hurdle. They're a hurdle. And this is a unique way for me to, to back into this message today, um, because we're going to be talking about, in this fire and wind uh, renewal series over the summer, finally getting to this one particular gift of the Spirit called the gift of tongues. And I don't know if I've ever been anywhere where the whole message was preached on trying to unpack this. In fact, when I look over my experience of being part of a Spirit-filled Pentecostal church, it was all kind of assumed you just kind of have to understand this as you go. I don't know of that I've been a part where I've, you know, a whole summer has been dedicated to who the Holy Spirit is, what does he do, what are these gifts. Um, but I knew that when we planted Gateway 15 years ago, that I wasn't just trying to collect a bunch of people that thought like I thought. What we're trying to do is collect a bunch of people who wanted to see who Jesus was. Right? And so, so, so we all kind of are in process together on who, who he is and, and all of that. And so it always excites me when I know someone's in the house that is not a follower of Christ. Now, I, I don't know any of that today or not, but I mean, I'll get texts from people that would say, I'm bringing my brother-in-law and I believe this is a safe place for him to come. You know, and I always love kind of getting those kind of things. But then when we start getting into the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, and today specifically the gift of tongues, when language is already such a barrier for most Americans, we can understand how, you know, the one hurdle, this big hurdle we have to get over in this regard. Last year, I felt the need to dev- define evangelicalism to you um, because the evangelical church was taking a lot of political hits. And so they were kind of making evangelical a very kind of dirty word. 
And so I here, here and I'll, so I'm just kind of circling back to define this for you so you can realize that it's not, all right? So an evangelical believes four core statements. The Bible is the is Holy Spirit-inspired word of God. It's the highest authority for what I believe and trust. That's a core belief of an evangelical. That Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of my sin. That's a core statement of being an evangelical. Salvation is a free gift for anyone who receives it. Sharing the good news with others is a critical aspect of my faith and crucial to others discovering the love of Jesus. Those four core statements will mark what it means to be an evangelical. Evangelicalism is not a new phenomenon. Um, it came out of the Great Awakening in the 1700s as a revival swept Great Britain and the early colonies. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, is basically the founder of evangelicalism. And in 2016, a quarter of all Christians across the world, over two and a half million, were evangelical. Um, it's not radical. It's not irrational. Um, it's very core to a Bible-believing church and people. And Gateway is an evangelical church in general, and it's a spirit-filled congregation specifically. Um, what I learned, though, being in Middle Tennessee, is that you could say spirit-filled and people would leave you alone, but don't, you do not dare say that you're a Pentecostal, all right? Because then it brings up the handling of the snakes, and all, I don't even know where this stuff comes from. I grew up in New Jersey. I don't know what y'all did down here. <laughs> but, but in essence, a Pentecostal believes that the Holy Spirit is active today and that the gifts for the body of Christ is for ministry and mission. That's, that's what a Pentecostal believes. That the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit are active today and all available for each of us. And this movement can be tracked back to the early 1900s with a revival in La outside of Los Angeles known as the Azusa Street Revival, which was three consecutive years, and it was led by a me another Methodist, an African-American Methodist pastor named William Seymour. And our sponsoring denomination has its roots in the Azusa Street Revival. So again, nothing new, nothing fancy, nothing out of left field, hundreds of years here. Now, the spiritual gift most associated with Pentecostals is speaking in tongues. And as such, it's a gift that's either the most emphasized or the most marginalized, depending if you're trying to stand out or fit in. Okay? I'm not interested in either one of those. I'm not interested in standing out and I'm not interested in fitting in. I'm most interested to being the most effective that we can be in ministry and mission. Are you with me? All right. I'm not interested in standing out. I'm not interested in hiding out. I'm interested in being the most effective that we can be in ministry. And I don't see why we would choose one gift out of the 21 listed in Ephesians, Romans, and Corinthians um, to make it our defining mark. And I don't know why we would want to cross one off either. I don't understand either of those. We believe that the Holy Spirit is fully active today, period. Whether we can fully understand anything or everything he does or not. Right? Told you this early on in this series. The Holy Spirit is supernatural. Right? It doesn't mean bigger than natural. It means we can't explain the natural, right, that comes from the Spirit. So, with that said, 
since tongues is the least understood and the most polarizing, I'm going to spend this message teaching you the best way I can on how God uses this amazing gift. All right? And I'll give this pause like in freshman English class when they said, if you're not supposed to be in this room, you can leave the class. <laughs> this, is, this, is this is your pause, okay? This is your, this is your pause for that. All right. Here's the text. Only two verses is our text today out of 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 19. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, that's our text today. And And just as a reminder, Paul's teaching this out of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And what's fascinating to me is he lists these gifts, but he spends two and a half chapters telling them how to use them, right? So, so it, it wasn't even focused. They, they, he said, you, you guys got all the gifts, but you're not using them in a manner that's going to forward ministry and mission. So let me help you with that. So when Paul gives this, these two statements, to me, they come out of an historic context. They come out of a personal context, and they come out of the Corinthian context. All right, all three contexts are important, all three threading them together. So let's first deal with the historical context on speak, with speaking in tongues. So Acts 2, 1 and 4 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Paul is remembering this reference. All right? Um, The initial tongues used in Acts 2, or the gift that was expressed, we know this by the context, those were known languages. They were known, meaning these were languages spoken in other provinces and other other, um, countries. We know this because people stepped forward out of the crowd and said that we heard the glory and the wonders of God in our own language, right? So you can kind of see in this, in this kickoff of the church, if you will, this, this um, 50 days after the ascension of Christ, it was necessary to make this kind of statement that Jesus was the Messiah, all right? And so it's being heard in their own language, and they recognize and we know that it cuts them to the heart as, Paul, um, as uh, Peter preaches because 3,000 people that would have been very possibly among the same groups that yelled, crucify, crucify him, now have committed their lives to Christ and now have experienced the reality of Christ through these other languages. So that's one use there. Um, in other Acts contexts, when the, when the Holy Spirit was given in baptism, the languages that were used there was what Paul later will call an angelic language. Right? That these weren't languages that were known, these were angelic languages. All right? so, so that's the historical context that we get when we start talking about speaking in tongues. It's rooted in church and biblical history. Now Paul's personal context. Paul called himself the most abnormal of all apostles. He also called himself the chief of all sinners, and both really fit, right? Because an apostle would have been someone who would have seen physically the death and then resurrection of Christ, and yet he wasn't, if he was present, he was yelling, crucify him, 
Okay? So he doesn't see, he doesn't experience, he might experience the crucifixion, but he doesn't experience the resurrection. And yet, on the road to Damascus, with letters in hand, uh, permission to, um, to arrest and or kill Christians to stomp out this movement, then Christ meets him there. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Jesus' connection to the church, Jesus' connection to us, right? you're persecuting me. Three days later, he's been blind and hasn't eaten anything when the Holy Spirit speaks to Ananias to come and say, go pray for him. I'm going to show him how much he's going to have to suffer in my name. And when Ananias lays hands on Saul to pray for him, Scripture says like scales fell from his eyes. He is now can see again, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right? And so Paul understands a very personal connection, even how the Spirit being given was tied to his salvation, this radical change in his life, but not just a radical directional change. Paul then goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He is, he is the driving force of this new church among Gentiles. So Paul has this very intimate understanding. I couldn't do that without this. I couldn't do this without a personal encounter with Christ. I could not do this without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Paul has a very personal context as it relates to when he says, I speak in tongues more than our version, right? All y'all. I speak in tongues more than all of you. He had a very personal, intimate understanding of this. And then we have now the Corinthian context of what he's speaking into. We get a deeper uh, version of this context at verse 6. Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy of word or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel at those, those that build up the church. So what's happening in this Corinthian context is they are misappropriating this particular gift. Either... They were just excited about that they had this gift and, and was look at me, look at me, which really hasn't been my experience. I haven't, I haven't encountered a lot of people in my time in a Pentecostal church and services like that. So, so I don't know. It very well could have been look at me, look at me. It could have also been a message would be given, but the, there was too much fear around someone speaking an interpretation of that. Right? It could be in both contexts that can happen, but either way it goes, Paul is saying, listen, you guys, you're a three-year-old church in a town going to hell. And, and there are a bunch of people coming in and out of your place, and y'all acting like that. And when you're acting like that, no, one, no one's getting any kind of understanding of who Jesus is. And so I would rather 
that you speak intelligible words, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom is what he's speaking about, instead of a bunch of you bumping up and down, giving this message in tongues that no one can understand without somebody interpreting it. All right, so those are the context. We understand that tongues are real. He has a historical context. It happened in Pentecost, day of Pentecost. This is the foundation of the church. And every other experience you find in Acts, when the Holy Spirit baptism comes, it is followed by tongues. Okay, so that's historic. Paul's personal. This is how it's changed me. I speak in tongues more than y'all. And now the Corinthian context. You guys are using it out of balance. It's not advancing ministry and mission the way you are appropriating it. Okay, so those are the three contexts with Paul is speaking. So what they needed to learn, what the Corinthian church needed to learn, that there was a public purpose and then there is a personal application for this new angelic language. Okay? Public purpose and a personal application. So let's talk about the public use, public missional use. Um, This, again, is a supernatural work that we saw on the day of Pentecost. It had very missional aspects, so that was very important. Now, I haven't been in a context before, personally. I've read of other people, but I haven't been in a context where I've heard someone speak a language that was a known language. I've read about it, especially overseas. I've read about it, but I haven't personally experienced it. Okay, and so that's one public use of tongues. Um, the other, again, is when, and, and why would God use that? I, I think God would use that and he would use it with an interpretation as this emphatic, unavoidable, I just spoke. And I can't think of many occasions in, in my 34 years of being a pastor, and then the years before that, it just growing up in the church, where, where this happened, whether it's in a small group context or a larger group context, where I didn't feel like this weight, this weight of God right, that there was this, like it almost like sucks the wind out of the room, if you will. It's kind of like, okay, something's just happened here that I, I can't explain, but I, I sense something's very, very different here, right? So, it's, so I would say in this public use of tongues, God is making a very pointed statement that is unavoidable. This wasn't someone just standing up and saying this. This this is something that's an amazing thing that's just happened together. Um, So that's in its public use. Again, it can be used publicly in a small group, um, uh, in a a larger context. You know, that's the public use. But but I want to talk mainly about the personal use. Um, Because this is where it seemed like a lot of people had this gift. So there's the, the gift of the Spirit for public use, every follower of Christ who has been filled with the Spirit, God can use you and me and someone else on any given moment in time to exercise that gift. But where we have to separate this is there's also this personal endowment that's given to each person that has the ability to speak in tongues in this angelic language that is a private personal use, that it's, I've heard people refer to it as a prayer language, right? And so in that context, then, then how does this prayer language, how does it work? Um, I believe God christens this new language for prayer for, and for three different kinds of prayer. One is a powerful prayer. One would be an informative prayer. 
and the other being an intimate prayer. All right? So let's talk about how God would use tongues personally in a powerful prayer. Um, It was probably my third trip to South Africa, and on this particular trip, um, the Afrikaans missionary Milan and I were heading to Swaziland. Swaziland's a very unique place. Swaziland is a country within a country. I mean, it is an independent country within the country boundaries of South Africa. And we're going there to meet a head of a denomination to plant churches. Um, to our specific role, mine was going to be theirs. I was going to raise the money and the people to build the churches, right? And so uh, uh, as, we're, as we're heading from his, from where he was from, the Mpalanga province, we were heading to Swaziland, and we got to a particular place that snaked some mountains with, you know, drop off, no guardrails. And uh, he said, this is where there's normally, I usually come across some very tragic accident um, when I go this way to Swaziland. Well, there was nothing there. He was just telling me, right? So we had a quick day and a half meeting. On the way back, we get to this particular area of highway, and we're seeing in the distance a billow of smoke and going, something's just happened. We got to the place where the smoke was. There was no vehicle. There were skid marks, and the vehicle was down the side of this mountain, probably a 30 to 45 degree grade down. So he and I start kind of, kind of trying to run down this grade. And first we saw like luggage, and then I saw an axle, and there was all kinds of paraphernalia. And then we ran past the trailer and knew this was a semi. By the time about 100 yards down, we got to the place where there was a cab, this cab of this um, truck. And the cab was almost turned all the way over. And there you could just see there was a man hanging out of that from his leg from the steering wheel. And it was shocking to see. Well, first thing Milan was saying, we can't move him. Don't move him. Um, and he said, I'm going to try to call, I guess, their version of 911. So, and, but the temperature's starting to drop. And so we both run back up. I grab a sheet out of my luggage, and I head back down while he stands up top to make the call. When I get down, I was able to at least wrap the sheet kind of around, around this man. And he seemingly was unconscious, but I could tell he was breathing. And in that moment, what do you do? And I just started praying. But I wasn't praying English words. But it's interesting, the words that I prayed, I had never heard. I had never heard myself in those words, in those configurations, in those sounds. And for about 20, 25 minutes, all I could do is pray like that. And it was almost, it wasn't, it wasn't even like 25 minutes of, um, listen, and it's not like you get, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you, you, you know what's going on, Okay. But it seemingly what I did was, was repeating something over and over again. And I remember in my, in, my, in my mind, I'm thinking, peace, calm. Those are the two words that just kept coming over my mind. Peace, calm. And then I heard a noise. And I got up close. I know I'm the only one there, but you can trust me. He was snoring. He was snoring. So as the ambulance came up, I had to catch a flight the next morning early. So literally, we didn't hang around. I went back up the mountain. We got in Milan's truck, and we headed back to his home the next morning. Got up, headed to Johannesburg to fly out. And I said, hey, please check on this guy. He said, I'll find out. I know where they were taking him. I'm going to check on him. When I got back to the States, and I called and said, how was he? How is he? He said, well, they checked him in, and the next day they checked him out, and he's... There was not, he went down a hundred yards 
off a 45-degree cliff with axles breaking off, literally his luggage out of the cab. And a day later, he's just sent home. The Spirit works in a very powerful way, and I don't know why, but he chooses to use us in so many of those occasions. For ministry and for mission. And the Holy Spirit has the ability to bring out this, this power, this direct connect that, that we don't have on our own. Personal use, powerful prayer. Let's talk about the informative prayer. God can also use tongues as a way to communicate something unknown during prayer. Um, if I ever pray for you in the altar, I, I, I try not to do it loudly, and that's just me. Um, but you may hear me pray in another language. And I'm praying and asking God to show me how to pray. This has happened a lot, but I remember one particular time in Atlanta, there was a very buttoned-up professional businessman that I saw go to the altar. Now, I knew this man because he was the father of one of the girls in my youth group, and she had talked a lot about her dad over the years. And so think about the most buttoned-up business person you know, and this person was times 10, okay? He was very stoic. But, so it shocked me when I saw him go to the altar. So... I felt compelled to go pray for him. So I went to pray for him. I started praying in the spirit. Again, my MO, not in his ear. You know, I'm back away. And then when he stood up, I felt very strongly that, of what the spirit had said. And so I just said, look, um, Mr. Young, I, I don't know how this fits, but this is what I believe the spirit was saying. And he just kind of thought his head, thank you, Charlie, and went back to his seat. You know, just, okay. You know, and um, that night he called me. Well, actually, Wendy called me and said, can you talk to my dad? And I get him on the phone. He said, did my girls tell you anything about what's going on in my business? I want to know, sir, not, not a thing. He said, someone's trying to buy my business, and I don't know what to do. And I was really torn up about that. He said, now I know what to do. He didn't sell it. And then like a week or so later, he calls me again and says, there was something that was missed in disclosure. And it would have ruined, it would have ruined her business. How do you know that? You don't know that, right? You don't know that. You, you, you yield yourself in the moment for ministry and for mission. And you'll allow the Spirit to do what He wants to do without you getting in the way. And then there's the third. So we have a powerful, we have an informative, and then there's an intimate. It's not time for me to stop yet. <laughs> I got my clock up there. I know what my pitch count is. Now I'm just speaking personal, right? These are my personal experiences I'm sharing with you. Um, in personal prayer, no one around. I find that there are certain times in which I will begin praying in tongues. I, I, I kind of classified these one around love. There are sweet moments in prayer when I run out of words to express my love for God. Right? Because we have a lot of words for love in the English language, right? We got love, 
right? So that's, so that's all we got, right? So it's easy, to run, it's easy to run out of words when you got one. Um, but there are moments in prayer where, where I just, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the love of God and I'm trying to express that back to him and English words don't do. And here comes this, this, here comes this angelic tongue. And again, it's not that I'm unaware of what's going on. It's something that I've yielded to over the course of decades and decades of my life. And so you, 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 gain, you gain some experience with it so you understand when that's bubbling up inside of you and how to give it room. The second is when I'm expressing some level of joy or appreciation. Um, when, when God blesses you in a manner that is undeserved and unexplainable. Has that happened in your life at any time where God's just done something for you and you, you're trying to, and back in the back of your mind, you remember going, wow, I remember really wanting that to happen. But maybe I didn't even ask because it was so far-fetched or out there that I just, but then something, and then so, so in, that, in that moment of joy and you don't know what to do or how to say it, and many times in my life, here comes this angelic language. And no one's stepping up afterwards. Sometimes, I don't, I don't know what I'm praying in that moment, but I know what I'm feeling in that moment, if that makes any sense. I'm connecting what I'm feeling in that moment to those words in that moment. And then too many times, too many times, this angelic language would come experiencing high levels of grief. Where you don't know what to pray. You can't form a word. I'm talking about the sobbing kind of grief. And in that moment, in those moments, here comes the Spirit. In, 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 the, in those regards, it almost feels like, it almost feels like he says, it's okay. I, I, I understand. Let, let, let me do this for you. It's powerful. The last one, in my life anyway, is around burden. Is around burden. I'm carrying something really, really heavy. I'm carrying something for you really, really heavily. And I'm trying to pray through carrying that burden. And I don't know what or how to carry it anymore and the spirit begins to pray. What's amazing to me is this, this sense of completion, if you will, when praying in the spirit. Like, like there, it, it, there will be, it will be over, right? And I'm carrying this burden, but that prayer will be over. And I have this sense that I can breathe again. Or I'm praying in grief. And then I have this sense, I'm okay. Right? Um, so, so, so this is a manner in which the private gift that everyone has available to them, right? Not, not the public gift where, where God chooses in a moment and says, okay, now it's time, now it's time, now it's time. Romans 8, 26 through 27 kind of captures at least the grief and burden piece that I just described. Come on up, team. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now that is such a key phrase. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, which means that when the Spirit prays on our behalf, he always knows how to pray on our behalf. What, 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 what better way in those moments to pray when we allow the Spirit to pray for us? So, Paul is teaching the Corinthian church that the gift of tongues isn't to be ignored, listen, or elevated above any of the other gifts in any other context. They are to be used for ministry and for mission. And when it comes to this this gift of prayer, something given to us very personally, very personal gift to us, gift has its place and to ignore it is to personally decide a gift freely offered by God is not for you. And you can do that by all means. The question I've always had is why would you want to? Anything of God is supernatural, something that's difficult to understand. It's just things that you've gotten comfortable with. Think about the first time you may have heard that someone gave their life, they literally died a very painful death for you. That's difficult to wrap your brain around. It's difficult to apply that something that you didn't even see happen has changed you. And then you start growing into being familiar with it. And then you start, the familiarity doesn't breed contempt, it, it, it breeds intimacy. And the reason why we're more comfortable with that is that gets preached from pulpits all over America and has for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, they're just weird, right? I mean, it just is. Someone arbitrarily stand up and give a word of knowledge, but you know what's not weird? When the person that gift of knowledge is for goes, oh God, that was me. Praying for someone to be healed, that's weird. Right until the person is healed. And then you go, okay, what do we do with that, right? So I really contend it's much more a lack of familiarity. It's much more a lack of who's, whoever taught me that. And listen, this wasn't the best teaching on the Holy Spirit, but it's the one you get, right? So, so, so your responsibility is to do something with what you got, right? And you're just stuck with me, I guess, right now. And so you get... Get that, and so the whole summer series, we even called it "Wind and Fire" because this is the historical context. And I've never heard wind rush through a building before, and I've never seen tongues of fire on people's heads. I haven't. I'm completely open that God can do new things in new ways all the time, but I also believe in the historic context in which they were given. And we we we. we We fashioned all this around renewal because the Holy Spirit brings freshness to our life. 
So in our time of prayer and response today, really what I want to ask you is, do you need renewal and refreshment? Do you need renewal and refreshment? Because I believe the Holy Spirit is the path to renewal and refreshment because he's been given to us for this time. When the Acts 2 experience gets linked to the the prophecy out of Joel, Peter actually even quotes it. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I love, he says, pour. He doesn't say sample. He doesn't say sprinkle. Pour. It's, It's given with liberality, liberality. It's just pour. And then he says, in the last days, All right, what are the last days? Well, the last days are when Jesus ascended to heaven. We are now, that marks the last days. Because nobody knows, nobody knows when the last day is going to be here. Which means we are living in the last days. So what was necessary for the early church to live in the last days is just as necessary for you and I to live in the last days. And this is available. The only way to receive a gift, the gift of the Spirit, is with open hands. It's the only way. It's the only way to receive any kind of gift. I mean, if I'm going to give you a gift and you ask me, what is it? You know, I mean, you really, I'm going to give you a gift and you want to know, what well, does it fit already? You know? So here, um, the last verse of Scripture, and then we're going to pray. Here's Luke 11, 9 through 13. Jesus teaching. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's pretty good. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right, so you make the the connection, then the Holy Spirit's a good gift. So whether it's brand new to you, whether you feel stuck or dry, I believe the, the offer of gift for you today is to receive the Holy Spirit. Or as Paul says, he tells us, told, told the church, uh, and I think it was in Ephesians, he said, don't be drunk on wine, but be continually filled with the Spirit. Right? So, so it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time shot. And, um, and I would ask you, or I would coach you and say, when you, when you ask to receive the Holy Spirit, do not be concerned about the gifts. The gift is the Holy Spirit. What he decides to do and when he does it, work that out as it goes. So stand with me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to move. As always, we have communion to our left and right. Um, but can I, can I really, the last word, encourage you If you want something you've never had before, you've got to be willing to do something you've never done before. And it's not as if coming to an altar 
is necessary for your ask. But what I have found is coming to an altar really helps the ask. And so people will be ready to pray for you. But whatever your need is, I invite you to still come. Whether it's a need of coming and needing to be filled with the Spirit, or whether it's a need that you're just so overwhelmed with today, that you want someone to lend you some faith today. And we'll do that in the altar today. Father, we thank you for your word, the clarity of your word, even on things that are not always clear. Your word can bring clarity. Your spirit brings clarity. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your gentleness. I thank you for your desire to want to be with your kids, not just for ministry and mission, but for our own wholeness and healing, for our own dryness to be irrigated. And I pray that today. I pray that you pour fresh water on marriages. I pray that you would uh, pour fresh water on relationships. I pray that you'll pour fresh water into open wounds. Lord, I pray that you pour fresh water on burns and bring relief and healing to our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.